0: Welcome to Stacy on the Right here on Family Vision Media. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Don't forget to share it and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Today, my guest is Timothy Head, Executive Director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition, very important organization that advances the cause of faith and freedom and the traditional biblical worldview across the country. And Timothy has been on before. So so glad to have you back, Tim.
1: Well, it's uh, always a treat to be with you. Uh Stacy and thank you so much for uh, for talking about this important issue that we're going to touch on today.
0: Yeah, so it's funny that we're talking today because Saturday we had something called Eagle Forum. It's a conference that's held on an annual basis. It's an organization that was once led by Phyllis Schlafly. And one of the topics, I was on a panel this weekend talking about crime. And I talked about it from the Second Amendment perspective when crime is up, arm up. And I was talking about how God gives us the mandate to defend ourselves and others. We're supposed to defend other people who are weaker and smaller from evil, from crime, from whatever there may be that's out there. And the only way for us to do that is to strengthen ourselves in Christ and also by training and learning about the different means we can defend ourselves with. And so that is coming on the heels of, of, you know, speaking there. Now you and I are talking and you have a new report that's out that demonstrates changes, actual disparities between black and white imprisonment rates over the past two decades. And this is from the Council on Criminal Justice. Tell us, Tim, what's going on here?
1: Well, uh, very quickly, so, you know, as you mentioned in in the introduction, I'm uh, I'm the executive director for the Faith and Freedom Coalition, which is a pro-life, pro-family, pro-faith advocacy organization. But one of the subjects that I work on, obviously, is the our justice system. And uh, so I also happened to, I was invited a few years ago to serve on the board of directors of the Council on Criminal Justice, which is actually an international criminal justice organization, because, you know, one of the things that we're we're finding across the country, and in some cases around the world, is that issues related to our justice system uh, are becoming a bit too politicized and polarized. And it's really, uh, we really feel like it's, uh, it's really important for this to be a very measured, accurate discussion. And so we're, uh, you know, unfortunately, in the realm of, of justice, uh, a lot of times, you know, the, the kind of public numbers that get thrown all around or just kind of narratives that we're we're building our policies and opinions on are only kind of partially uh, accurate. And so the, the the subject that we're talking about here is is a study that the staff at the Council on Criminal Justice did um, throughout the, basically the entire year of 2020 and analyzed national data trends and uh, and came back with some pretty interesting findings that, um, in my opinion, are very um, hopeful and encouraging. Uh, ironically, a lot of people on the left are, are starting to try to kind of punch holes in some of the data and, and results because it may not exactly fit the narrative that uh, you know some folks on the left are, are trying to push right now.
0: So I like to talk about narrative shifting. I think it's um, um it's instructive for us because it helps us to hear like when when you're maybe you're at the airport, and I I know you find yourself at the airport a lot, Tim, because you travel extensively, especially during election season. But you you could be anywhere. You could be at a store where or or a restaurant, a sports bar where they have the news up, and you hear someone on the television talking about, let's say, this subject, criminal justice. If we are aware of the narratives and the narrative shifts, we can catch them as they occur and we can debunk them immediately because it just takes common sense. You don't actually have to read tons of articles about criminal justice to understand when you're being fed a narrative, but often we don't realize that's what's being done. So you mentioned the, the conventional narrative and some people on the left pushing back. What is it that they believe that this, this, this report actually maybe debunks?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And um I think that before the year twenty twenty it, it might have been news to some people, but uh but after you know going through twenty twenty, and obviously you you're based in, in uh in St. Louis area you know, near nearby Ferguson, uh, you know, in, in the years twenty eighteen, nineteen and twenty, uh, we really saw a groundswell of discussion around, you know, what, what some might refer to as systemic racism or structural racism, other you know, other times and uh, I think there are some complexities to that dating back to, you know, kind of colonial America. But in, in the year 2018, 19, 20, you know, today and the year 2022, we actually do have fairly sophisticated systems in place. And that's not to say that there aren't bad actors, individual bad actors, you know, throughout those systems. Uh, but I would actually argue pretty strongly that there are, uh, through hiring practices, training practices, internal investigative practices in police departments and Prisons, et cetera. That uh, we've made enormous progress on making sure that basically our justice system is has uh, has equality built throughout it. And so, interestingly, what uh, what the the findings in this research study show basically is, starting in the year 2000, is when the data analysis began. Basically, African Americans were between eight and nine times uh, more likely to be uh, arrested and put in prison. Than white counterparts in the United States. Well, fast forward to 2020, the analysis basically shows that that's essentially cut in half almost. So about four and a half times more likely to to be arrested and, and put into prison than their white counterparts. And so, the, you know, that disparity is is still you know worthy of more attention for sure. Uh, but but I think uh, particularly what you and I are talking about is, interestingly, that disparity has dramatically shrunk in the last 20 years. And uh, and that particular kind of shrinking in the disparity is what does not fit in the narrative that we uh, were were also uh, subjected to in, in 2020, especially, you know, certainly through the BLM movement, et cetera. So while there's still probably some work to be done in that and there's probably more to be known, to be learned for that matter, uh, but we're, we're truly seeing just statistical improvement on this that, that really is there's no arguing with this, that there there are significant improvements that have been made.
0: So that's good news. Or am I am I missing something? Because, I, I mean, oh, <laughs> Precisely. Why, why would the left be opposed to sharing this good news and actually celebrating uh, a positive development? Because we could use the good news. We could get we we could use all the good news we can get
1: well uh and and therein lies our quandary as they see, so even on thursday uh, the the results were uh were were published to our board of directors for the Council on Criminal Justice early last week and then made public on Wednesday of last week. New York Times ran an article about it on on uh friday and uh so I, I happened to be in some meetings in washington d c on Friday with some people you know a, a bipartisan group that does a lot of work on justice. And uh, I would say over half of the people that were in this small group were very encouraged by this, but it was intriguing, but there were actually a couple of people that you know were conspicuously quiet, we'll say. And I think the challenge that we're seeing is some people really are more interested in having problems to complain about than helping see progress around said problems. And that, I would argue is is actually very arguably the biggest problem. Right now in America, some just are so entrenched in desiring to foment schisms and, and controversy that they not only aren't working towards solutions, but sometimes uh, and, and don't celebrate progress that we do see. But also are literally sometimes trying to drive wedges when they find progress. And uh, and this is actually what I find personally maybe the most offensive. Not that there are problems. But when people really don't want problems to be solved or addressed, uh, there's really not a whole lot you can do at that point, right?
0: Right, it's true. So let's let's get. I want to delve into some more of this because I know, uh, you know, I'm I'm not discouraged, but it is kind of like you know, if we can't celebrate the good news and we can't we can't share like then what, what is the point of even keeping all these statistics? I think this, the left only enjoys the use of statistics when it can prove that America is systemically racist, a horrible place, white people are oppressors, black people are victims, you know, um, unicorns are real, men can be women, th- things like that. But if it can prove that there's actually some, some leveling off going on, um, they, they don't want to hear that because they need the grievances, they need the disparities in order to advance their claim that this is a terrible place.
1: So that, uh, at least I will acknowledge, because I, I, I work a lot on uh, justice-related issues and frequently in bipartisan contexts in D.C. and then across in state capitals and even in cities across the country, I would say more uh, Democrats that I work with are interested in, in actually solving problems. And I'm actually finding, ironically, quietly, uh, that a lot of those uh, those Democrats that are interested in solving problems are even starting to express to me their frustration with a lot of their liberal colleagues and counterparts uh, who really are just interested in kind of fomenting and, you know, jabbing people in the eye uh, perpetually. Uh, So I'm kind of simultaneously discouraged and encouraged because um, I I would say two-thirds of the Democrats that I try to, uh, you know, work strategically with on on justice-related issues are trying, you know, but, but they're, again, um, and, you know, even they're kind of uh, experiencing their own frustrations within the party. Uh, so I think that uh, in terms of, you know, this report, and, and frankly, there are actually some others that are being done right now that will uh, demonstrate similar things on the Hispanic front uh, related to the justice system. The best news for me is that we're seeing progress. Because I think it's really important, A, for our communities and, and our families to be safe, And B, for us to have a justice system that's credible, that's trustworthy, uh, that we can actually, if we see something happening, uh, that that we actually have confidence when we dial 911, whenever we go to a court, you know, to actually have a have a trial, uh, that we have confidence that uh, the trial is actually going to be fair and impartial. Uh, So this is this is actually fundamental. It's rudimentary to uh, to civil society, and if that's compromised. Um, we really do devolve very quickly into, uh, you know, a very dystopian place.
0: Yeah. And I can't help but think of how, you know, Tim, when the dystopian movies first started coming out, Hunger Games and all of that, I remember just saying out loud when we were watching the movie, I wonder whose mind this came out of, because this is just something different than anything we've ever seen. The children do all the fighting, the children are the ones who do all the work, and the adults are kind of either supremely evil or they're completely impotent. And it just seems like something I've never been exposed to. And my daughter immediately said, oh, mom, this story comes from books. This this, this is a series of books. I said, really? I, I imagine this came straight out of Hollywood. She said, no, I've read them. The, the books um, are very, very popular, and that's why they made it into a movie. And I said, oh, that's fascinating. And so when you watch The Hunger Games or or any of the dystopian films, you see – the breakdown of society has already occurred. Cities are still the dwelling places, but they've divided the society off into haves and have-nots. And the have-nots are raging against the haves, but the haves are the ones who are – they're obsessed with silly things like wearing brightly colored clothing and eating. You know, they they indulge themselves. And we have a lot of these elements at play right now. We have Hollywood. We have political elites. They are obsessed with feeding themselves and appearing to be cool and dominating on social media. They don't really have an affinity for regular working people. They think people that live in rural areas stink. They think that the smell of a Walmart is it, they're like there's a smell to it. Like there's the things that they say about regular Americans indicate their elite status and how few how little of their time is spent interacting with regular people. And so when I think about that, and then kind of look at when those movies came out, and then look at how much our society seems to be kind of imitating the lawlessness, um, the weird kind of fractionalization of different sectors of our society. And then you mentioned, Tim, how you're working with people, and they do want to see change. But Everyone that I meet who is not a Republican, who wants to see change, they're willing to change up until the point it means actually admitting that the current orthodoxy does not work. If that current orthodoxy is any way connected to Democrats who are responsible for much of the societal ills we see. So that's the breaking point. They're willing to make changes and do all kinds of things to help people until, you you know, you have to say, well, we actually need some different policy here. We actually need different legislation And then there's a cleaving off. Are you finding that as well?
1: Uh, Well, in short, the answer is basically yes. So a lot of the uh, I mean, this is no secret to you or your listeners, but uh, a lot of the most, uh, quote unquote, kind of progressive and experimental policies surrounding crime have been perpetrated, I would say, in uh, huge cities, which, of course, are overwhelmingly run by Democrats and, and populated for that matter by by Democratic voters. Uh, so you know, be that Los Angeles proper, San Francisco proper, Chicago, um, you know, Boston, New York, of course, Washington D.C., uh, Baltimore obviously is is a huge one. Um, St. Louis, you know, certainly being one. And those are the cities and the centers that we're seeing uh, these dramatic spikes in in violent crime. They're they're definitely kind of uh, outliers in, in some other communities, but by and large, it's basically happening in nine cities in the United States of America. But what happens uh, when that happens is these very uh, loose policies are put in practice either by police chiefs and frequently by DAs, district attorneys in in those city centers, uh, very lenient, especially on, well, it's kind of both ends, some on on violent crime, but especially on property crimes. And and then you see this proliferation. Well, especially when you do that coupled with um, a significant downturn in the economy, is a terrible equation for a lot of very nefarious activity. And so, uh, you you know, we're we're actually seeing good practices and and kind of flatline statistics in a lot of more what I would just consider more conservative places. But the most liberal places, which aren't always in in blue states, by the way. So Dallas, Texas is one. You know, the the rest of Texas is obviously very conservative. But Houston, Harris County and Dallas, Dallas County are, are seeing upticks so, uh you know this is my my point to a lot of of these people that are i consider earnest problem solvers is we need law enforcement uh very stern if you will and and uh and rigorous enforcement of laws uh, all the time, but especially in the economic downturns because uh that's where opportunity crimes you know uh, i I've, I've lost my job I've lost you know uh, our our family that we're going through economic hardships. Uh, We need to focus on providing economic opportunity for people so that they don't turn to other alternative measures. And then at the same time, you have to have law enforcement that, again, is very diligent in enforcing code on the streets. And so these experiments really have gone awry in a lot of places. You see really um, tragic trends emerging in a lot of these city centers, and the rest of the country is rejecting it whole cloth. We want no part of that. Um, And so that's what a lot of these kind of uh, experimental policymakers are realizing. Oh, man, we really blew this. one.
0: So it is true, right? It is true that they've blown it and it is true that crime is on the uptick. And it is true. I saw some protests um, in Chicago where it was Hispanic and black women and they'd gathered in the street and the news was asking them, what are you here about? They had pictures of their children. Um, They were holding the pictures up and they were standing there and some of them were crying and they were talking to the camera and saying, well, look, here's the thing. We know that if the criminals who were arrested had stayed in jail, they wouldn't have had a chance to kill our kids. And so we can connect criminals being released on no cash bail to that. And it was heart wrenching. But them speaking to the cameras and getting on local news there it doesn't actually change anything with uh, the mayor of Chicago because the mayor of Chicago is, you know, Lori Lightfoot is completely immune to the heartache of, of a mother or anybody. She, she just she's there to implement her agenda. So how do we connect those two things? Because, you know, Tim, there's nothing worse than feeling like you've gone through a tragedy And no one cares. And also, there's nothing you can do about it, because this is America. We have been raised on the idea that through our civic processes, we can right wrongs and we can, you know, handle injustice. But we're now entering a point in American history where right is wrong, down is up, and injustice is ignored.
1: Boy, that's a a great question, which yet again... uh So interestingly enough, one of the reasons why we work on this subject matter at a conservative faith-based organization like the Faith and Freedom Coalition is because we absolutely believe that a civil justice and a criminal justice system is, is absolutely part of the fabric and the backbone of a civil society. And frankly, I would argue there really are not very many more important fundamental or foundational functions of the government for all of the things that government, federal or state does do... Uh, that we wish that it didn't do. Um, This is actually one of those that it should do and it should do well. And so, uh, unfortunately, we find that typically, you know, groups on the left kind of want to want to swing the pendulum to an extreme, in my opinion. And then, uh, you know, groups on the right or, or, you know, populations on the right uh, may not engage very much in what's actually a pretty nuanced subject matter. And these practices can be a little bit complicated, sometimes even slightly counterintuitive. So, you know the reason why we and a handful of other groups on the right really engage on this is because we believe it's important to get that kind of metronome, if you will, right in the middle. You know where we're, we're where we have a good balance of policing and uh, security and safety on our streets, but also our individual liberties are, that are enshrined in our constitution are protected. And so, uh, unfortunately, in, in your you know your question about Chicago and Mayor Lightfoot is, we really do have you know, back to your Hunger Games kind of analogy, um, you know, somebody that's sort of living in the capital city and, um, you know, and only right. kind of travels around, you know, right. in, in very isolated or, or very uh, unusual, you know, times and, and is wholly protected or, or kind of, you know, never exposed to, to kind of true, real uh, uh, human interaction and authentic uh, grievances. And so, Uh, That's, you know, frankly, uh, we're actually in the process of reaching out to Mayor Lightfoot specifically and a couple of these other mayors and police chiefs to say, your citizens are not being served well by ideological policies. We need policies that work and are safe and also honor, uh, you know, individual liberty and and constitutional rights. Uh, But anything beyond that is just social engineering and real lives are at stake here.
0: Yeah, it's funny. We have so much anthropological data about what happens when you experiment on populations to get them to take certain actions. And the only way that you can coerce individuals into acting in a certain way, and it's still only percentages of that population, is based upon their willingness and understanding of what it is that they're being coerced into. So, you know, I I think often of... um, the experiments that Democrats have made on city populations, you know, we're going to bus kids from the city to the suburbs. And, you know, we're going to achieve racial equality in classrooms by moving the children, Not, not taking people who want to live in suburban areas and assisting them with making them move naturally through natural migration. My husband and I did it. We lived in a rural area we moved into the inner city when we realized we couldn't get uh, public education that worked for our kids we moved to an inner ring suburb but it took a lot of planning and effort on our part because we went from being renters to homeowners and then we had to kind of basically time our move and, and all of that and it took it took a lot it was not an easy task but instead of assisting people in learning that process, because it's natural and it's also normative and it, it actually teaches you a skill that you can use later in life, because once you've learned how to save and purchase a home, you can do that again and again and again. Um, instead of them assisting people in doing that, they're like, no, we'll just pick your kid up and put them on a bus for an hour and a half, bus them out to the suburbs where they can't stay for playdates, they can't play sports, they can't participate in the full experience, and then bus them back. And that should be enough to, uh, to help. Well, it pulled a bunch of people out of poverty and they got great educations, but they still didn't have the friendships and things that actually make living in a neighborhood and going to a neighborhood school so special. And that's just one. We have so many social experiments. The Democrats are currently launching a social experiment on America's public school kids with pornographic material, sexualizing them, removing their innocence and convincing any child who will submit that they are in the wrong body and that they need to take hormone blockers. And have top surgeries and bottom surgeries. And now we have a whole rash of children who are suicidal because now they're 17 or 18. They no longer have gender dysmorphia, but their body has been mutilated. Um, They actually have a subreddit on Reddit that's dedicated wholly to detransitioners. And most of the people in the subreddit are suicidal. They're literally talking about they want to kill themselves, but they've already hurt their parents so much they're afraid to kill themselves because they think it might make their parents kill themselves. But if they could, if they thought they could kill themselves without hurting anybody else, they would. This this is unbelievably where we are right now because Democrats continue to force these experiments on huge populations.
1: And and again, this isn't just debate club, debate class here. Uh, These policies and practices have real implications for real human beings. You know, this is not just kind of a uh, it's not a political exercise. it's It's not trying to prove a point or just demagogue here. Uh, it really does affect people. and um, you know, so our, my argument is is for you know for folks that are truly interested in solving problems, uh, interestingly enough, um, the political left right now is not terribly engaged in true kind of empirical approaches to, to even addressing problems. Uh, So, ironically, the Trump administration and Attorney General Barr, you know, during 2020, just insane scenarios surrounding 2020, uh, passed, you know, if you remember the First Step Act that resulted uh, now directly in uh, just over 11,000 people that were released after basically kind of good time. They were early released. Now, over 11,000 people have have left federal prison. Uh, Generally, you see about a 31% uh, recidivism rate in the justice system. And two years, uh, two to three years after the First Step to implementation and people being released, uh, you'd be shocked. Uh, There are 17 people that have re-offended out of 11,000 people from federal prison who were released because it was a very measured approach, and we knew basically what we were doing. So we were very involved in that process. Uh, So that's a recidivism rate of 0.11%, not 1%. 11 one hundredths of a percent recidivism rate.
0: We, we, I need that statistic. I need a link to that because that is – so I got a lot of flack from very, very solid conservatives who were really worried that I was supporting criminal justice reform that would end up with you know families who've lost loved ones due to recidivism and violent crime specifically. And I said I felt like President Trump, who was very, very tough on crime, would not have signed on to something just for the sake of having a legislative win in that arena that it really was well thought of and thought through and it was it was a lot of compromise which the best bills come out of compromise as much as I you know I'm on the right I'm a Christian conservative we really do actually make better strides in society when we acknowledge the fallibility of human nature and how our plans never apply to 100% of any population and so we have to compromise and the first step back was an exercise in compromise bringing together the furthest individuals on the political spectrum because you know van jones is he's a communist but he came to the table and he participated and so i think that is a testimony to what can be done it doesn't increase crime but it does assist people in starting over again and having a second chance which jesus is all about the second chance that's why he came to give us a second chance
1: absolutely so uh, so you know the way we say it is uh our goal when it comes to our justice system is a system that brings accountability but still offers the opportunity for redemption or rehabilitation. Uh, This is the reason why, you know, we and our team, uh, I and and our team worked on the First Step Act for basically five years leading up to its passage. There are ways that we can do this in smart ways that are measured and kind of gradual or incremental, and you can, I mean, literally playing out right now three-dimensionally a Trump-endorsed, measured approach that we've seen federally, with a 0.1% uh, recidivism rate, the lowest of any measured uh, 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 policy in the last 100 years, um, versus the policies that are being uh, experimented on, and, and now you know seeing the, the repercussions in places like Baltimore, Chicago, uh, New York, etc. So uh, just uh, you know, just just knowing that. Um, We we can actually make improvements to our justice system, just like to our educational system, just like to our transportation system. Uh, There there can be improvements made without, you know, whole cloth revolution or throwing the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. But it takes uh, very intricate conversations like the one that you and I are having right now uh, versus just kind of demagoguery and uh, Instagram tropes uh, that that really – don't get the the nuance and complexity of some of these issues.
0: Well, the thing that I I want people to do is visit Faith and Freedom Coalition, check out their work. Um, It's so important for us to have organizations like yours. The website is ffcoalition.com. I also have linked it in the show notes to today's podcast. So if you're driving along or if you're on your run, never fear, you can click the link whenever you get back to your laptop. Um, Check them out. You can see all kinds of things. They have an issues page where you can see and decide for yourself where you want to kind of plug in and an issue that you might want to work on. You can join their inner circle. You can donate. You can become a part of the movement. Um, Ralph Reed is the founder and chairman. Timothy Head is the executive director. Always welcome on the show, and we always love it when you stop by. Thank you so much, Tim.
1: Oh, Thank you so much. God bless, Stacey.
0: God bless. We'll talk again soon. All right, that's it for today. We'll be back with you on another Stacey on the Right Show podcast.